hope you're tucked in. Cause you are now in bed with Dr. Sue. I want to thank you, first of all, for listening to this episode of In Bed with Dr. Sue. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. This episode of In Bed deals with sex offenders. And although it may not be the sort of topic I usually bring you, it is nonetheless a very emotional and heated issue. Some of you who may have listened to my segments on the Entune show may remember that I have a background on this issue. My father is a pedophile, and although I haven't seen him or heard from him in over 38 years, it's never lost on me the impact his behavior has on his victims. I was not one of his victims of sexual assault. I was a recipient of his other mental maladies, but not that particular one. However, my sister was. Now, why this is of particular interest is because we had different fathers. My sister, although she's been in my life since I was born, and I definitely don't consider her to be anything but my full sister, is in fact my half-sister. She had a different father than mine because it was my mom's second marriage. I was raised in a very affluent suburb of Detroit. My father was a very intelligent, artistic engineer, but he was a criminal and a pedophile as well. I tell you this to point out that we were a very waspy, average family. We didn't live in the projects, and yet I grew up surrounded by not only my dysfunctional family, but my friends as well in this idyllic little burb. So remember, things are not always as they seem. Another thing I want you to notice is a line in the sand that my father had as an offender. And this is actually really common as far as step-parents who offend against stepchildren. And that is, and I'll quote him on this, I'd never hurt her. She's mine. And I'm not telling you this to gain sympathy at all. It's more that I want you to know that I too, as have hundreds of thousands of you, been touched by what my guest has to share with you today. It was actually my father's myriad of psychoses that got me interested in psychology in the first place. In a moment, you're going to meet Ken. No, that's not his real name. And the reason why I agreed to keep his identity secret is because he was recently granted removal of his name from the sex offender registry. And that, my friends, is not an easy thing to do. Ken is obviously a sex offender. He's going to tell you how he ended up on the sex offender registry. He's going to point out the gaping flaws in the system and a relatively inexpensive and simple way to improve some offender's possibility of reoffending through chemical castration. Whether you're for it or against it, his argument is compelling and needs to be heard. Who better to tell you about sex offenders than an offender himself? I ask, as I always do, to keep an open mind and an open heart and learn from Ken. Those of you who have castration fantasies and paraphilias probably won't enjoy this as we're not discussing that end of the spectrum. I'll be back with my interview of Ken in just a moment. I have a challenge to all of my listeners. As many of you may know, I have a regular segment on the Entune show called The Couch, where Ms. P and I discuss your questions on sex, relationships, and life. Ms. P and the Entune show have recently launched the State to State Backpack Campaign. 
and that's to raise funds to help students living in poverty effectively learn through the collection and distribution of free school supplies and backpack safety education from chiropractor Dr. Lila Wolf. Every single dollar helps. I know that if each one of my listeners donated just one dollar, we could help thousands of kids. So please go to inbedwithdrsue.com, look for the backpack campaign banner on the right side of the site, click on that, and you'll be taken right away to Indiegogo. Together, we can all help kids have the school supplies they need, and I'm challenging my InBed listeners to a $1 challenge. That's right. I want to see all of my dominatrix ladies out there send in $1. I want you to have your FinDom client addicts send in $5. I want to see all my submissive gentlemen send in $1. And on the Indiegogo page on the right, you'll see Dr. Sue's $1 challenge. You can click that, pay by PayPal, and I know all my ladies and dirty gentlemen have PayPal. So let's see some serious action on the part of my InBed listeners. Remember, go to InBedWithDrSue.com, click on the backpack link. We can't get the supplies without you. And now my interview with Ken. Um, I want to introduce everybody to Ken. Um, Obviously, this is not his real name, but what's important is his message that he is about to give to you guys. I want to thank you, Ken, for being here because I think what you have to say is beyond important. Uh, thank you very much for this uh, platform. So where do I start? Why don't we start with how all of this came to be? First of all, let's let everybody know at one point you were a registered sex offender, but you are now you have just received a certificate of rehab, which like you said, that doesn't happen, does it? No, it's extremely rare and there's a pretty high bar to pass in order to get to that point. So congratulations on that because that's that's huge. That's gigantic. Yeah, well, it was- uh, a few years in the making, and it kind of comes out of left field when you do get it, but some states don't have this. My state does, so it just so happens I was able to uh, luck out. So at any rate, for 10 years, I was an exhibitionist. I had been arrested. So at what age do you figure this started? Like, do you, was, was it when you were a teenager or an adolescent, were you a chronic masturbator? Was it something that slowly came upon you, or how did it all of a sudden manifest itself? Well, um I was a chronic masturbator, and when puberty hit, it just went off the charts. It became that much more worse. Being bored with masturbating at home, I branched out and wanted to try something a little bit more exciting, and that was masturbating in a public place to get away with it. So how old were you when you ramped it up and Uh, went, okay, I want to go public? I was 15, and I started masturbating in public and found it to be quite exhilarating, and uh, that was something that sort of evolved in something that was pretty frequent. And let's explain really quickly, you know, as a sex offender, everyone's going to be going, ah, oh, instantly he's a pedophile. That This has nothing to do with that. Your charges were always what? It was always indecent exposure. I never had any victims that were children. Everybody was adults. Would that have changed things? Probably not for the sake of the registry and for the sake of prosecution. But, you know, they consider all the details of the The stigma is still there, though. The stigma of the sex offender is always going to be there. So let's go back. You're 15. You do this for the first time in public. Does it, it must give you an incredible rush. Well, it initially started out as being able to do it in a public place and get away with it. It wasn't about being seen. 
you know, I did this for a couple of weeks, one summer, and then... Where would you go at 15? Uh, I went to a public library. Okay. And I would be you know, masturbating down in the aisles of the library, you know, being careful that no one would see me. Uh, one of the times I got sloppy and I didn't see these girls come up behind me and they saw me. They doubled over laughing and I was completely mortified because that was certainly not the plan. At the same time, it gave me this odd rush, this odd high from then So the on. humiliation was what you got that rush from? I'm sorry, say again? The humiliation was what you got that, that rush from? ended up being what it was and that's ended up being something that I needed to have practically on a daily basis. Starting the next day, I would go out and seek that practically every day. So almost every day you're going, is it always the library? No. Um, I would go to different places, stores, malls, college campuses, apartment complexes, hiking trails, try to go and expose myself and have a situation where somebody might come up behind, come up upon me and see me doing that but not in a threatening way, not in a way of jumping out of bushes per se, but more of a more subtle way so they might notice me and you know, see it in a fashion that's not too... Offensive uh, is not the word. It's more of uh, in your face, I guess you could say. And I never made eye contact with people. So oftentimes when people would see me, I never had anybody scream or go running. It was more like they were catching me doing something. Yeah, it wasn't like you were jumping out, like you said, you weren't jumping out of the bushes and, you know, ripping your coat open like the classic, you know, exposed guy we always see in cartoons. You were just doing your thing, and if someone happened upon you, that was better. Correct. And that's what would happen. And then if they saw me, you know, they the reactions were not quite like you would think. Nobody went running and screaming. In fact, having done this a couple thousand times, you know, I should have been arrested far more times than I had been. Girls' re reactions would be, one, of either they would laugh, or two, they would go get their friends. Three, they would call me names. Four, they would walk by three or four more times. And on occasion, I also had girls that would sit down next to me, like two feet away, and pretend to be looking for a book if I was at a library all the time when I'm sitting there masturbating. So, obviously, they weren't offended. Maybe it's not, okay, but maybe it wasn't, naturally, it wasn't going to be offense because you're not pushing it on them you're not like you're not getting into their space they're really getting into your space so that's probably why you didn't get busted as often because people would be like oh well oh, okay yeah you shouldn't be doing that but i kind of intruded or something they're, they're going to feel more like they're intruding on you that's what was the approach and that was a self-preservation approach that kept me from getting arrested multiple times of course so you're absolutely right so you almost you could almost fall back on people's um innate niceness <laughs> let's put it that way their innate to be their innate ability to just be like oh well that i shouldn't really interrupt you yeah well that's true and just based on statistics it should have i should have been arrested far more times than i was so it didn't happen so i think that approach is what kept me uh out of trouble many of the times when i should have been in trouble and there's a few times i've seen the same people same girls at one of the libraries and uh they saw me on a regular basis, and there was times that uh, they saw me. Uh, if they were studying with somebody new who hadn't been there before, I would hear, oftentimes I'd hear them say, hey, let's go see if that beat-off guy is here. So, <laughs> so you almost started to become famous in the library. So I was this person that was entertainment, I, I suppose. So, But over the course of the time that I would be there, they'd walk by multiple times, you know, going to the bathroom or killing time or going to get a drink of water, and, you know, every time they walk by... You know, stare down the aisle and look at me and snicker, or whatever. So that was pretty common. 
So at what age did you get your first arrest? Uh, I didn't get arrested until I was 19. And uh, that's you went for four years, really four years with nothing. That's pretty good. No, come to find out, there were times when they were looking for me and could not find me. Of course, I, was, ah, okay. I didn't have a record, and uh, you know they didn't have anything to go on. So, you know, there were a few reports that were unsolved until I was actually arrested, and then they could figure out, oh yeah, that was this guy on these other accounts also. Yeah, I did get away with it. Wow. And that's not in a boastful way, but that's just in a statistical, you know, improbability. But for some reason, it happened that way. That's fascinating. So that see, and this is this is what I find the most fascinating about all of this is if this had been pedophilia, yeah, everyone will instantly jump on board this. I want more people to understand that this is beyond your control. This isn't just some pervert who's decided he's going to do this for kicks. Maybe it was at the beginning, but that isn't what ended up happening, right? That is not ended up happening. And you know, I don't know how many times. I opened the phone book to try to see, you know, where can I get some help for this? I would do this and, you know, and right after I would ejaculate for like 10, 15, 20 minutes afterwards, I'd have a complete moment of clarity mm -hmm. ask myself, what is wrong with me? How come I can't stop? What the hell's going on? But then that time would blow over and I would get home and need to masturbate about the whole incident that happened and then mm -hmm. replay that over and over and over, further reinforcing the behavior Right. It's a vicious cycle. So then you're on this treadmill. You can never get off. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, certainly if there was uh, a vice to have, this is not the one that I would choose to have. And perhaps in my next life, I will choose to be a drug addict because it's far more socially acceptable. That's true. That's definitely true. And that's pathetic. But what are you going to do? Right. Okay. So 19, you get arrested for what? Indecent exposure. Okay. Where were you? Uh, public library. And understand, people, you would rotate, right? You had to rotate libraries because you couldn't keep going back to the same library. No, in different places and different times and different, you know, of course, not having a set schedule, that would mean that, you know, you wouldn't be predictable if they were looking for you. And, you know, I, I, I blend in. I don't stand out. So it's not like you could say, oh, it's that one grubby looking guy because, you, you know, you see these pictures on 10 o'clock news of these sex offenders and they look like creepy perverts, you know. And let me just say, let me just say really quickly, because I can see Ken right now on video, he looks like your average guy. <laughs> so trust me, it's not like he is a stereotype. He looks like everybody's dad. He really does. He just looks like, you know, he could be coaching soccer somewhere. And I think that's also one thing that people try to or can't quite understand. And, and, and being in a sex offender group therapy with other offenders, you know, they're all over the socioeconomic levels and different backgrounds. And uh, it was a real mixed bag of, of folks that I was, uh, you know, in group therapy with. That, mm -hmm. that is absolutely... But group therapy didn't start till like way later, right? Did not start until great later. So... Okay, so you're arrested. What did, like, okay, you're in a library. Did they come into the library and take you or how did they do it? No, actually, uh, first time somebody called, and of course, just like every time, I never knew they called. They get my license plate number. Obviously, they, I didn't see anybody standing around. I didn't see anybody see me leaves. But I got a call at home from the police, and they said that they needed to talk to me. And so I went and talked to them, and you know, I didn't deny anything I did. I admitted to everything. So they didn't have to come, you know, guns blaring or anything. You actually just walked in and said, yeah, what do you want? True, true. Okay. There was no denying that. I just, you know, went and faced the music. You owned it. Yeah, so they took my 
statement. I waited for a few weeks to have uh, like a not like a warrant, but um, you know the charge is actually filed, and then I had to go back in and be uh, uh, booked, and then wait for a court date and all that kind of good stuff. Okay, so that's your first charge. Obviously, it doesn't stop you. It no. didn't deter you. It didn't scare you. Nothing. Nothing. Do you think that's because they weren't that freaked out about it? Well, that might be part of it. I mean, obviously, if you were violent or you were doing something with children, there's a whole different magnitude yeah. of that kind of approach. But I think this is seen as more of a nuisance crime. And as long as kids aren't involved, it's kind of like, ah, no harm, okay, you know, whatever. Try and keep it in your pants, buddy. That yeah, kind of thing. yeah. So that was um, so that first offense was probation, and there was really nothing to that. And I, for some reason, on that offense, there was no court order to get counseling. But I remember heeding the advice of probation officer and doing that, but not knowing anything about any of this stuff at that time. <clears throat> what's imperative to know about these kinds of things is like anything else, you need to see a specialist. If you don't see a specialist, a generalist is probably not going to do much good for you. I mean, yeah. much like you wouldn't get the water pump of your car changed by a guy who just puts tires on your car. You know, you need to go to precisely a, same kind of thing. So people that specialist. So I didn't know that, but to my detriment, of course, uh, that didn't quite work out because the person I saw. So is it that, okay, after you get arrested the first time, now you're seeking some kind of treatment of some kind? Um, I went and saw a therapist. And okay. And this is just a general therapist? Just a general therapist. Okay. And, you know, I just want to talk about this and that. And touched on you have some crappy childhood, blah, blah, blah. There was nothing in there that was about focusing on getting me to stop this behavior. So it continued on. But did they know? Did you tell the therapist why you were there? Oh, certainly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There was no... So it wasn't like you were sitting there beating around the bush and you weren't, excuse that pun, but it's like, it wasn't like you were sitting there trying to deceive them. You went in perfectly honest and said, this is what I'm here for. And they didn't bother with it. They didn't bother with it. I didn't mince words about why I was there. I needed to stop. And that was not very helpful. So, you know, I think probably after about three or four visits, I just stopped going. I wasn't compelled to go. I wasn't required to go and uh, continued back uh, with the behavior. So all during your probation, you're still doing it? Still doing it, rotating around a little bit more, kind of starting to go a little bit further away from you know, where I lived, starting to be you know, a little bit more observant and careful. So now you're getting a little bit more stealth. <laughs> a little bit more stealth. A little bit more going with gut instinct on what something not what not might not be right. Or there was one person that has a different tone or flavor to it than if there's two girls. Two, you know, they might not think together that it's so bad. It might two people might sit there and kind of giggle and laugh and have it a joke amongst themselves, whereas one person may take it more offensively, right? Correct. Anyway, I focused on ways that would be a little bit more self-preserving in that regards. So that's right. what I did. I was able to go through a number of years and do the probation and not get arrested. I made it through that. So at this point, you're not considered a registered sex offender? No, no. Okay. In this state, the first one, you get a pass. Some states, on the first one, you don't get a pass and you're automatically a sex offender right away. Okay. So this carries on to when do you get arrested the next time? So the next time, you know, several years down the road, I'm out and about doing this at several different places. Again, this time, I used to frequent college campus libraries as well. I'd go there and masturbate. And I had to be a little more careful because it's a you know, campus and all that kind of stuff. So pretty much was able to be a little bit more selective and get away with it. So then that happens. I get 
arrested the second time. Finally, and where were you arrested this time? Uh, on the campus itself. I didn't get away with getting very... You didn't get to leave. Okay. Yeah, so... So was it campus police that got you, or did someone call the actual police? No, campus police. So anyway, they, um, they arrested me. Of course, they didn't see me, so they had to have somebody who saw me say, yeah, that's the guy right there, and they had to sign a complaint so they could arrest me. So this time you're taken out in cuffs, are you not? Yeah, that's correct. And, okay. and booked, spent uh, the night in jail. You know, the next morning, the judge decides which cases they're going to cut loose, who they're going to keep. And, of course, they cut me loose. And I think there's factors in there like how long you live in the community, if you made all your court dates in the past, all that kind of stuff. So technically, you were a model convict, <laughs> even though you're not a con. But it's like technically you were the model prisoner because you did everything you were supposed to do. Right. I didn't have any warrants. I didn't have any I didn't even have a parking ticket. So and, you know that point I, I was in college so everything looked like it was pretty much on the up and up so even that doesn't deter you though you spend the <laughs> night in jail right they cut you loose the next day because yeah. again it's still only a slap on the wrist it's not really sinking in even though you've spent the night in jail that still doesn't do anything right well, i'm back at it right away also you know this is a way to this is also a way to deal with the pressure and stress that's coming it just gets worse and worse. So the stress of having the arrest and knowing that you're going to have to appear in court and get all this done, blah, 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 mm -hmm. that's actually increasing your masturbation. It, it is. So, you know, that's what I'm spending all my time doing. That's what I'm seeking out places to go. Are you working? Um, I was going to school. I was able to save up money when I was younger. I, I don't have a trust fund by any means, but I was able to save up money so I could go to school, live at home, and work. But at that point, I was on my own and living off of uh, savings, you know, having an apartment. Well, now, what does your family think of this? Or have you been able to keep <clears throat> all this quiet? Uh, they never knew. They never knew. They never found out. Even to this day? To this day. I mean, I, I would go through long periods of time where I didn't talk to them, and then I would talk to them. when They lived 2,000 miles away, so that helps. All in all, it never came up. I was never really missing too much, and um, it pretty much worked out in my favor. I mean, I don't stand to gain anything from them knowing. No, but it, it's almost like all of these things fit together like a perfect puzzle piece, each one fitting into the next one, allowing you to get this ramping up further and further and further. And it's like nothing came to really step in between that cycle. No, and it just, you know, like I said, it constant reinforcement of that behavior just made it that much worse. So now, okay, so now you've gone through all this. What do you get from this? Do they give you probation? What do you have to do? Probation. This time I have to do, oh, I don't know how many see here. It must have been about several weekends of community service where I had to work on a ranch that was for the disabled kids and work around this, do some work on weekends, Saturday and Sunday kind of thing. So more like a community service. Then. Yeah, yeah. So that was a few months right. worth of that. Now, did you ever masturbate in your community service? No, because it was I was living at home, so I, I would it would be I'd show up Saturday, work all day, go home, and go back on Sunday, work all day, and go back. So obviously, my couldn't do my behavior on Saturday and Sunday, but all other times, you know, still continue to do it. And really quickly, how old are you now, so that people understand how long you've been dealing with this? I'm 45. Okay, so you get the probation, everything's fine, you're doing everything again. You did everything the way what you're supposed to do, correct? Correct. Didn't have one little hiccup. Continued on and kept doing what I'm doing. Sort of sailed through that, but, you know, never let up. Always continued with that. Kept everything on the down low. You know, a little bit more mindful of how I can get better at it next time so that I'm not... So you're actually perfecting your craft. True. And intuition yeah. and gut feeling when something isn't right, I better get out of here. I think I did have a number of close calls. Again, you know, or being able to, to get away with it and slip out was a self-preservation thing. 
So by listening to your gut, you knew, uh-oh, things are up. I got better get out of here because something feels wrong. Right, right. Now, you know, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, what what is the deal here? So same thing. I would ejaculate, and then I'd have this moment of clarity for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I know every guy that's out there is, who's listening to this right now, especially if you're a submissive male, they get this. When you have an orgasm, your body is flooded with testosterone, which is the reason why you have those moments of clarity after an orgasm. Guys do this all the time. They feel really bad about their behavior right after they do it. But if you leave it 45 minutes, your hormone levels come down, they level out, and you're fine. Certainly. That's certainly what would happen. So I'm trying to figure out, what, so what's, what is this about? Is it about the exposure part of it? So I took some time and you know, went to a new beach, cruised around there, and it's like, okay, it's not about exposure. I mean, I think I already knew the answer, but... But, you know, you were trying to figure this out for yourself because it's not like you had any therapist that was giving you a hand. Uh, that's true. So you go to the nude beach. The nude beach does nothing for you. No, it does nothing. It doesn't. It's too easy. But it's not even about that. And it's, even for somebody like me, it's just not appropriate there. If It's probably more appropriate there than anyone else, but it just doesn't go down. And if it does go down. It doesn't work mentally with it, right? Right. It, yeah. It just doesn't go mentally. You would expect that there, but it really doesn't happen unless... Um, it's a it's a man trying to maybe attract another man. So other than that, that's the only thing that I really noticed. So then I tried going to uh, live peep shows where they have live women on stage and going to the mm-hmm. peep show booth and watch them. And so that was you know that was somewhat closer to it because somebody live would be right in front of the window and they could see in and see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that was a more legal way of doing it. So I noticed that if I would go there, have a couple of orgasms, that would help delay me in going out and doing this behavior. So Right. But it's not going to give you the humiliation you're looking for, it's right? It's not going to give me that. But that combined with maybe staying at home and masturbating to take the edge off so I don't have to run out, that might minimize the time I spend actually out, which, is, which the more time I spend out, the more it increases my chances of getting caught. So again, you recognize that your behavior is wrong. You recognize there's something wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And you're trying to police yourself. I'm trying to, but it's an, it's an uphill battle. The, the hormones, the strength of the urges, mm-hmm. was just not, it was just not going to happen. I mean, it would be so bad that I would be, I would be sick with the flu. Sick as the dog. Sick as a dog, but I would still be compelled to go out. So think about that, you guys. When who you guys who are listening, I want you to understand. Think about that for a minute. It shows you the level of compulsion when here he is. If you've got the flu, usually you're you know throwing up, and you just you the last thing you feel like is sexual contact of any kind. But look at how hard he's being pulled by this. So I go out with the flu and go out somewhere and try to masturbate. It would would be hard to get erect because I didn't feel good, but somehow I managed to. And and in between all this, I would get sick to my stomach because I had the flu and I'd have to go to the bathroom and throw up. And, but then I'd go right back to where I was and go back to go back to work, masturbating and waiting for someone to see me. And like, how could this thing be so strong to make it be so compelling that you just can't even stop it? It's not like it happened everywhere. It would only be in these certain settings that would, that I would want to be in. It's not like I would be standing in the grocery store and be compelled to do it. So it was only in these certain settings where it would be something where somebody would come upon me and notice what I was doing. So it's not even so much that if you were to have stayed home, okay, if I don't go out, then I can't do this. And I, you know, I'm not going to be out in public. 
but it's not enough. Is it not almost a feeling like, well, we don't know because you're not a junkie, but you know what I mean? It's almost like you need a fix that you have to do this. Absolutely. It's like being a junkie. I've never been a junkie, but I'm just saying that I got to, I need one more time. I just need to do it. And of course, there's been a million times where I just say, okay, I'm going to stop, but just one more time, just one more time, just like a junkie. You know, let's do this one more time and I'll stop. Especially if I had a close call. One more time, I'll stop. But I could never stop. You know, after going out and doing, you know, out in public and getting off a couple of times and then going home and, you know, masturbating five or six more times, thinking about what I had just done and the setting and who saw me and all that sort of thing. And that just constantly, constantly reinforced it. Well, yeah, because now you're in this catch-22 of you want to go out, you have to have your fix of going out and doing it. And then when you get home, thinking about what you just did just increases the masturbation at home, which then starts the whole compulsion again. And the whole cycle over the next day. Correct. So at that point, you know, I'm in college and I'm just, I mean, somehow I'm able to still take classes and still pass and keep on going. But at the same time, I have this uh, this dark passenger, so to speak, that I have to keep satisfied. Yeah, you got to keep this, this other part of you very happy. Otherwise, it's going to drive you nuts again. So that's a lot of stress to be under at that age. Because how old are you then? You're still only, what, mid-20s? Yeah, yeah. I mean, late 20s? Mid-late 20s? Early 20s. Doing that, going to school, passing, getting through classes and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as class is over for the day, I'm out and about doing my behavior again. It's a continuous thing. Now, at this point, um, I actually see a therapist who specializes in this. So this is now someone who is classified as a sex therapist? Um, I don't think a sex therapist necessarily. Probably on the surface, somebody who's a therapist that deals with sexual issues. But this is somebody who deals with sex offenders. Okay. Good. So at least someone who's somewhat specializing. Right. That's great. Right. Anyway, so I go, I, go, I go see this doctor, and that's all they deal with. So, okay, well, this time I guess I'm in the right place. It's a combination of one-on-one therapy and also group therapy. Group therapy is you know, once a week, and you know, I realize I'm with different people or different backgrounds and so forth, but mostly the group is made up of uh, probably half exhibitionists, half pedophiles. How did it feel sitting there with pedophiles, though? Well, it's interesting because there is a pecking order. Mm-hmm. pedophiles think what the hell are you guys doing in here you guys didn't do anything wrong they kind of like I say look down upon but you know no one's supposed to minimize anybody's behavior but it goes on certainly they were wondering what people like us were there but the thing about the group makeup is all the exhibitionists were repeat offenders whereas not all of the pedophiles were repeat offenders there's more first-time pedophile offenders than um, exhibitionists so there's a number of exhibitionists that were multiple repeat offenders you know I think there was one guy who's been arrested like eight or nine times. And at this point, you'd only been arrested twice, right? right? So, okay, I go through this. And this, again, is all you doing this on your own. No one's mandated no, this. At that no one's found this person for you. You did this. No, on the second time, this was court order. Okay. Had to be a specialist that dealt with this and found this person and went to that. And so that was pretty... Uh, that was pretty interesting. There was a lot to that thing. You know, there was MMPI, so I took that test, you know, which, you know, I, I had taken those tests before when I was trying to get a job, so I was familiar with that and how that works. Mm-hmm. And... So these are all psychological tests for anybody who Yeah, they're looking for deception. They're looking... Yeah. They're asking questions four different ways from Sunday and, and see if you, how you answer the questions in different ways and how they're phrased and so forth. 
I think it's still used today with uh, employment screenings and so forth. At any rate, I don't know how accurate it is anymore. There was also a couple of other tests that were more suited for sex offenders, one called the penile pathismograph. And what this is, is it's a strain gauge, very small plastic coated wire you put around your penis. It's connected to uh, a machine that uh, measures tumescence or, you know, your penis getting erect or you know, hard, mm-hmm. but it measures any slight difference. And I'm not talking movement or twitch, but any kind of swelling. This is paired up with audio as well as standardized slides with suggestive content to see if you're interested in you know, different paraphilias. You're interested right. in children. Are you interested in female children, male children? exposing yourself to adults, exposing yourself to children, rape, um, all these different things. Mm-hmm. So any, they could read any kind of interest you could have, and you, could, you can't control any slight increase. In fact, when I went, under, went this test, I certainly didn't notice anything that was arousing about, about it, but I certainly had you know, interest in exhibitionism, and so it came out. So, it did. So it actually registered then. Yeah, it did. It did. It does, it does work, and I don't know that there's a way to, to really fool that. Uh, another test I took was something called the ABLE test, A-B-L-E, and that included looking at, again, photos on, on a laptop computer. The photos would come up, and it, what it measured was the fractional time between photos before you hit the return button to look at the next photo. So if you had interest in something... You oh, so you hesitated on it longer. Yes. In, in, okay. In, hundredths of a second, but it would Mm -hmm. measure that. And that was also used to measure people's interest in in kids. They were suggestive slides. They were children in different states of suggestive dress, nothing naked or anything, nothing illegal, bathing suits and things like that. And they had different age groups in there. So anyway, I did that. Unfortunately, I had no interest in children. So that was that was good, at least in my mind. Incidentally, I I did discover that a lot of people have interest in you know, girls that are under 18, mostly you know, 15 to 17, 14 to 17, when they're starting to develop. And I discovered that that was actually quite common because someone thinks, well, I'm not really interested in that. But, well, the computer program would suggest differently. So that was interesting to learn. But, of course, when I started doing this, I was pretty much that same age. Well, yeah, and I think that really has to factor into this. I mean, it's it, it wasn't so much that you were... Because even as you were getting older, you weren't going back to, you know, public school and doing this. No. And in fact, I intentionally was careful enough in, in what I was doing to, you know, if someone was of questionable age, you know, there was going to be no way. I just, my default setting was that, no, I wouldn't make sure they didn't see me. So you had a line in the sand. Well, yeah. And I, I find that that's not exactly uncommon with sex offenders. Oftentimes mm-hmm. that bar is pretty low, but there's some... But there's a bar, and, and I don't think people get that, that each offender does have that, well, I shouldn't say each one, because if obviously if we're talking sociopathy, there is no feeling of empathy. But in most cases, yeah, there is a bar there. They actually go, okay, well, no, I can do this person, but I can't do this person. Right. Yeah, it, that's very clear. And that's very clear what I saw from other people in therapy as well. So it's not somebody who likes eight-year-olds. It's also going to like 14-year-olds. It's very narrow, specific. specific kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so now you're in therapy. Do you get arrested again? No, so I go through the therapy. There's aversion therapy. There was uh, EMDR. You know, did I have some repressed memory? Mm-hmm. And, of course, the one thing that was really disconcerting about everything was whether special 
specialist or not, these therapists kept trying to pinpoint something that happened necessarily in my life that led to all this. And sometimes mm-hmm. there isn't always a thing that happens. No, there isn't. And please, again, keep this in mind. I would say most of the people who approach me are always saying, I want to be able to go back and figure out why I have these thoughts, why I have these feelings. You may never figure that out. And it may, because a lot of this starts way pre-adolescent and has nothing to do with sexuality at the time, you may never find it out. And to keep going back in the past isn't going to fix this. It's just not. It's going to be more frustrating, right? No. And they seem to spin their wheels, focusing on blaming some parents or blaming some mm-hmm. way they're raised. Well, we got to point a finger at somebody. Well, that seems to be the way it is. And you hear that all the way up to the people get on death row. They're always blaming, oh, they had a bad childhood or some other excuse when sometimes they just there's no reason. Sometimes things just sort of happen. That was always frustrating because walking out of the therapist's office, it's like, okay, this all sounds great on paper and sounds wonderful. Like, hey, we're really going to get better. We're going to heal and we're going to do this and that. But at the end of the day, you walk out that door and you still have these urges. Right. So how come we're not dealing with that? How come this, you know, there's no direct focus on how to control the behavior and not talk about what's going to prevent it necessarily. So at this point, you've been arrested twice. Are you now a registered offender? That is correct. Okay, so on the second arrest, you got the stigma. Stigma comes in, laws passed and enacted. So that involves, you know, going down, registering with the police, fingerprints. And this is in your 20s still? Yes, that's correct. Wow. Fingerprints, photographs, they have have you come in for an interview and you have to do this every year. And then you also have to carry a card with you that you have to prevent present to law enforcement should you have contact with them that says you're a registered sex offender. So you get pulled over by somebody because you're speeding, for example. Yes. You got to pull out a registered sex offender card along with your license. That's correct. Now, when they run you also, they're going to find that out. But you're supposed to let them know. At that point, it's pretty interesting because the conversation now in the uh, group is nothing but the stigma and people not being able to find a place to live and all these different things that maybe somebody hadn't thought of that's coming to pass. Is this scaring you, though? Because now you've got to tell people where you're living. <clears throat> people get to know all about you because it's public now. Yeah. How are you able to deal with that? Well, it's it's abstract. So I continue, mm. keep on keeping on. So I'm still doing my behavior and doing... Uh, so despite everything, you're going to group therapy, you're doing your individual therapy, every, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Right. It's not working. No. In the one-on-one therapy, the cornerstone of sex offender treatment is masturbatory reconditioning. I never understood how that's going to work because I've been doing what I've been doing at that point, you know, I don't know, eight years or so, you know, getting off. How did they propose this reconditioning? What did they want? What was the the basis of it? The basis of it was to get sex offenders to stop masturbating to their deviant behavior, but to masturbate to legal behavior. Now, that comes from, <laughs> but, that sounds great. that's not helping your behavior at all. Sounds great. In, sounds great in theory, but... Exactly. In reality, this is where the ball gets dropped because if someone's been getting off four or five times a day or three to five times a day for 15 or 20 years to the thing that they're interested in, if they're interested in kids and they've been doing that for that long, all of a sudden tomorrow they're not going to be interested in adult living. It just doesn't work. Exactly. So here in So life, it's like they're forcing straight porn on you kind of a thing. Correct. And here okay. lies the problem with the treatment modality. 
somebody has determined that this is the best way to handle it. Now, in the meantime, people like me are leaving the, you know, leaving out the front door, and they still have these urges and interests. Yeah, that's great. You'll patronize them and do what you need to do and make them happy. But by the time you get home, it's like I'm back to the, the same old thing. Well, the compulsion starts again. You're back at home. It's done. That's that's over with. Now let's get down to the stuff that's fun. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So there was also therapy that was used where you would make audio recordings where you would describe something that is legal, masturbate to it, have an orgasm, and then right away tell another story of an incident that you did that was not legal. You'd be telling this story that used to be arousing during a period where you would not be aroused. I'm not quite sure what the point of that was exactly. Again, it, and, and I, everybody who listens to my show knows this, it's the psychiatric field, anything to do with the mind, we are still Neanderthals throwing rocks at the moon. They don't get it. Everyone's flying by the seat of their pants, which is why if you don't feel like you're getting the proper help, get out and keep looking. Certainly. You'd certainly do that with your car if you thought you were getting a bad deal on a repair. But we don't do that for ourselves. And that, to me, it's just sad and pathetic. But what are you going to do? Like, you know, mental health. Let's Because this is what this is. This is a mental health issue. And we brush all this stuff under the carpet. That's true. And I think the solution is a little bit more simplistic in its approach. But there seems to be what seems to be a, a noble effort to try to, to do this, but if all this therapy works so great, there wouldn't be all these repeat sex offenders. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So, but at any so rate, you're still doing your thing, though. So now how old are we? So now, um, 23. God, you're still a baby, though. This is like so much to go through at your age. Holy cow. Yeah, still at it. You know, I changed majors in class, still doing, going to school, still keeping on with that. And, um, doing what I'm doing, still going to therapy, frustrated with uh, the group therapy, get a bunch of people in there and just, you know, don't seem to want to help themselves. No, it's just a wine fest. Don't you find most group therapy is everybody just goes and whines. Pissing and moaning and complaining. Yeah. Who, who, woe is me, you know, and Eeyore, all yep. these Eeyores. I certainly didn't seem like I fit in. I certainly didn't think the group was helpful. And I don't need to hear... Were you the youngest one there? Not by much. There was, really? Uh, younger people there, um, but most people, yeah, I would say you're right. Most people were probably in their 30s and 40s. Okay. Uh, there were some people in the 20s, but apparently what I've learned is a lot of people in there did have these problems all the way back to their adolescence. So it's interesting what the what the literature and the books say versus actually <laughs> reality. reality. There didn't seem to be enough importance or enough interest from, from the pedophiles to really make a change in their lives. They could sure BS you pretty well, but end of the day you know the ones that everybody seems to focus on in society you know they didn't seem to be the interest that they really wanted to change but what let's look at it logically we're not going to become addicted to something that doesn't feel good so keep that in mind i mean obviously you guys are all doing this because it feels good someone who's eating is doing it because it feels good it makes you feel good the drinking same thing so it's not like you can walk out this is the thing if 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 all our behavior was so cut and dried where you could go, oh, well, yeah, I shouldn't do that, and I'll just stop, it would make life a lot easier. But all of these behaviors give you a pleasurable feeling. So that's a hard thing to walk away from. And nobody wants to. Combined with the, the treatment, it never people never get around to being empathetic towards their victims. So they're never really getting in touch with the damage. What they've done. Yeah. Right. 
and I can only say that in retrospect. At the time, I was definitely in that group of not having any empathy. No question about it. So you, at, at that point in time, you really didn't have any empathy? Really? So you were almost displaying sociopathic behavior in the sense of you just didn't care? Caring because you kind of are forced to or have to or pretend to. Right. Caring because I got caught or caring because, you know, I have to go through this therapy, but not, you know, maybe I've mentally screwed up someone who just saw me do this. Right. No, that was pretty much a theme I I saw in the therapy. That was, I saw a lot of that where people just like, you know, yeah, well, you know, there's some collateral damage here and that just happened. Life goes on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. um, that was pretty common. That's probably why most people don't get to the point of being able to stop because, they never get that permanent moment of clarity. Again, that's something I think the therapy falls short on. It does. It does that for any therapy. Any therapy falls short on that. Because, like I said, if it wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it in the first place. So how, you have to break that pleasure connection. And that's not an easy thing to do. No, and you come to need that pleasure and you need that constant serotonin thing going on. Mm-hmm. And you constantly need to, to be there and get that, no matter what the cost is. It's no wonder people keep doing what they're doing and just take their lumps and move on. So did you stay with this therapy or did you end up just saying forget it when it was done? You know, I did it for a couple of years and then finally you know, I moved on, um, not getting really much more. I mean, I learned some things and at the same time, I took the time to do a little bit of reading on my own to see what this whole thing's about and what's really going on because I had access to a, you know, a reverence library when I was going to college. So. Uh, <laughs> Yes, you did, Ken. You had access to quite a few libraries. Uh, that's true. <laughs> you should have been doing more reading. <laughs> I, I was passing my classes. I switched majors. So holy moly, you know. Somehow I figured it out. I don't know. I'm still not quite sure how I graduated, but continued on. This has nothing to do with smarts again. And, and get that through your heads, too. I think everyone has this picture of a sex offender as being the guy in the wife beater that's all dirty and, you know, hasn't washed in six years and, you know, just is constantly pulling his wiener out. And it's just that isn't what this is. You guys got to remember this. This is a different level. It's a different. You, this is why we teach our children. It's not always this scary guy that you should be careful of. No, it's the John Wayne Gacy's of the world. Exactly. You know, it's the uh, it's Ted, your Ted Bundy's. It's Ted all Bundy. of them. They were very smooth. Yeah. I think recently. Relatively good looking guys. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think from what I noticed, you're treated differently how you look. You go to mm-hmm. court dressed like a million bucks. They treat you differently. You dress like a schlub, like you're going dressed, going to the beach. Yeah. What does a judge do? They judge people. Mm-hmm. So you go in there like a slob. You're disrespectful. What do you think is going to happen? So you go in there. I mean. It, was, it always amazed me. You can't go to Target and buy a, a sports coat and a set of khakis and go in there, say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and be polite. I mean, it doesn't, I mean that costs you nothing. But it, I mm-hmm. saw it time and time again. People got treated not poorly, but you know they got what they deserved. It seemed like. But you go in there, respectful, dress like you mean business, and they treat you differently. So I think I was I benefited from how I presented myself, how I came across, and how I looked. I offered that advice to people in the group because as I saw the stigma being a sex offender, I thought, you know, maybe don't look like a slob. Maybe clean up your act a little bit because when you look some way and it's not how somebody suspects you would look, it kind of, um, people have second thoughts. But if you look like that guy on the 10 o'clock news. They're going to throw the book at you. Yeah. 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 So you learned actually how to play the system if you think about it. 
Yeah, well, I think that's why, you know, I never really got serious punishment because, you know, they always kick the can down the road. This is all mm-hmm. this is just a nuisance kind of crime. And, and certainly there are more than a couple of serious crimes that can get you on the sex offender registry. And I don't think people understand that. There's a half a dozen crimes you could do that get you on that. I mean, you know, something as simple as stealing underpants can get you on the sex offender registry because it's sexually oriented. So, so anything sexually oriented can you know, possibly get you on that sex offender list. Right. You don't have to touch anyone or mess with a child to get on there. I mean, there's plenty of cases where people are, you know, urinating in public. I I would think that's a separate kind of crime, but um, it just depends on how they go about prosecuting it. At any rate, I think people, the big question, and, and occasionally I come across people that will say, well, what did you do? Because the devil's in the details. It's not about necessarily the title, but there's people that do know that could be these other things, and there's always more to the story. And, and the thing that comes to mind with group therapy, and this is, and, and when you said, okay, well, I was talking to the guys in therapy and, and, you know, told them maybe they should clean up their act when they go to the courtroom. Is it not just you guys all sitting around, and because this is what people are going to be thinking, trading secrets? How do you do it? Okay, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you go here? This is where I go. Why don't you go here? Is, is Does that go on? You're not the only person who I've heard that from. Yeah, they think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, exchanging ideas like it's a you know knitting class or something but absolutely not that there was none of that there was no reinforcing behavior and there was no minimizing of other people's behavior so there was none of that it was moderated by a therapist which i don't think is such a great idea i don't know why they don't have more offenders moderating because unless you've been in those shoes which i think in aa and na they usually have addicts also moderating those settings i don't know why they don't have sex offenders moderating their own Because of the fear of what I just said. They figure that if you have a sex offender moderating other sex offenders, it's going to turn into a coffee clutch of, you know, how can we possibly screw someone else up? That's what they're afraid of. Well, in reality, I think a failure of the group therapy or whatever, whoever decides how group therapy should be conducted, it's a short-sightedness on their part because you need to have somebody who can call a spade a spade. You can't BS a BSer, and I think in this case, mm-hmm. they need somebody there to be able to call somebody on the carpet. And what better person for that is somebody who's been there. That I think. So flaw in the system, right there. Why not? Why do we not have offenders moderating offenders? One of many flaws, certainly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so now where do we go? So now you've you're still doing your therapy. You're I'm assuming you're doing probation. Again, you're doing everything than what you're supposed to do. Right. But you're still doing the behavior. Still doing the behavior. It doesn't matter. Still honing my skills and getting away with it. You know, there's no stopping it. So despite the fact that you're, you're, and, and I would imagine, because I get the feeling from you that you were making, or maybe you weren't at that point in time, were you making a real effort to try and stop this when you were going to therapy? Or were you just going through the motions at this point? Going through the motions and again, okay. trying to go to the peep show or go or masturbate at home and try to delay right. the inevitable with limited success, of course. So how many more years does that go on? Uh, that goes on another three years. And uh, I also went so far as to pick up prostitutes and pay them to watch me masturbate. But yeah. that wouldn't work either because, again, the humiliation factor isn't quite there. Sure, they could sit there and call you names, but they're hookers. It doesn't work. No, I think it's just a matter of carrying on conversation and the fact that I'm doing that and they're right there. So not quite the same, but maybe there was a little bit different when there was somebody new. But it wasn't. It still wasn't enough, right? No, it still wasn't enough, but it was just another way of going about possibly... Fixing it. Yeah. 
really, yeah. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. So carrying on and navigating the different things in life that comes with you having that stigma, I get arrested again. You know, this time, at this point, it's uh, sort of coming to a head because at that point, I'm a repeat offender. Now, are you still in therapy when you get arrested the third time? No, I was out. I was done. Okay. So where was this one? What happened with this arrest? Where were you? This one, I was around a mall, moving around, not staying there too often, but, you know, somebody saw me down one of the aisles of uh, one of the uh, stores. So, again, same kind of thing happened. Police didn't see me, but they eventually caught up to me as I was leaving, and, you know, that's the guy right there. Again, I get arrested and get booked, and, you know, I'm only in for a couple hours. He cut me loose with a court date and so forth. Again, it's still a slap on the wrist, and it's not anything that's deterring you. It's not deterring me. In fact, between the time I had that arrest and my court date, I got arrested again. Oh, my God. So, so how old are you now? Now I'm 25. God. So four arrests by the age of 25. Yeah. Anyway, at that point, uh, not too good. So I was in jail overnight. This time it was not that good. I was facing uh, going to court on two charges. And, mm-hmm. uh, so this time, you know, I ended up di- I ended up doing uh, time in a, in a program where I had to actually be in kind of a pseudo jail for three months. So that be considered more of like a rehab kind of a situation where they pull you out and now you have to be twenty four seven in what they quote unquote is consider therapy. Yeah. Well, not in, no, it's not an inpatient or anything like that. It's just you're staying and you're kind of in jail overnight or during the day if you don't have school or work. You can go to work. You can only leave this place to go to work or go to a, a school. Okay, so similar to like a halfway house, like you have yeah. to report back in. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, subject to- and so this is probably to try to keep you off the streets, right? Uh, yeah, and they drug test you and everything like that. But come to find right. out, they don't really let this program be open to sex offenders. So it's normally not so it's mostly drug offenders Mm -hmm. people people with like three or four duis that sort of thing right so now that you're sleeping there does your family not notice or you because you're still living away and nobody even notices what's going on oh they live away and i talk on the phone during the day so that's not a problem Uh, okay so they don't know that i'm not living where i was living that worked out fairly fine i got through that and there was some different things having your different idea there having your your liberty taken away. Mm-hmm. So the, Still didn't deter you, though. Uh, no, I did my time there. And of course, you know, my behavior was somewhat suppressed by virtue of the fact I couldn't go out and do it. But as soon as I had the chance, I certainly did. So it didn't help at all. So in, in the case of if you were to look at it as a junkie, okay, we've now taken you off the street. You are now going cold turkey. Let's hope this does something because we're not allowing you to go out and do this anymore. You have no chance to go out and do this anymore because you have to report in and it's not working. Right. No. And I'm back to the therapist I used to be at. Again, not uncommon. Back slipped up and fell back into the, the ways that actually I never stopped. There I was back in there. So even when you were in this quote unquote like rehabby halfway thing, were you still able to get out there and masturbate? No, no, it was. Oh, okay. It wasn't any extra time because you had to count for all your time. You were you okay. had to be somewhere. You know, you you were either there or you were at school or somewhere or else that was accounted therapy, for. Right. There was no other. You were out and about somewhere. So that did stop you for a little while, but during that time, what's the craving like? Well, I had thousands of instances to masturbate to. And I found that to be the case with the other people I talked to that had actually done prison time, you know. Sure, they're locked up and can't do their thing, but they're in there getting off to old memories Mm -hmm. and time again. And 
that is just reinforcing it. So as soon as they're out, they're going to go right back to what they're doing. It's like, duh, these behaviors are so far ingrained and reinforced that no wonder you got these people that just can't stop. So this continues on and continues to be a problem. Start peeping into windows. So now the behavior's ramping up. Yeah. Okay, so now you're changing your MO. Yeah, I still need that. I still need to go out and do it, but it's not enough. Night comes, people go home, places close. I still need to go do something similar. So I start peeping into windows. So I ended up getting arrested for that. Now, nobody I ever saw saw me, but somebody saw me. They caught me because of my DNA, because they had my semen from other times when I was arrested. I was on the DNA database. So there I was again in that situation. So that particular incident, because you're looking in the windows, you left ejaculate there. Someone did a swab. They were able to figure it out? Correct. That's kind of how that unfolded. So now I was, you know. Now you're in trouble again. <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble again. Obviously, the therapist I've seen before didn't work. So now it was uh, a new court-ordered therapist that was that was young, that was somebody who was relatively out of school. Talked to uh, her and went through everything, and it just just didn't seem like this was really working. Okay. Again, because she was focusing in the past again, looking for blame. No, not that way, but more in um, that that everything up to then was up, up to that point wasn't working. At that point, it was then going to be what do we do about this? So that's when the idea of going on Depo Provera was brought up. So let's quickly let everybody know, Depo Provera, for those of you, I mean, there's going to be women out there that go, wait a minute, I take that. It's a birth control pill. It's not a pill, is it? No, it's, is it a pill? It's an injection. No, it's an injection, is it not? Yeah. It's an injection. It's... So same thing. So what it is, is it's a heap and helping of estrogen, correct? No, it's actually synthetic progesterone. Oh, it's synthetic progesterone. Yes. Okay. What it does for women's bodies is, for those who don't know, of course, what am I telling this story for? It tricks their Simulates body, pregnancy. <laughs> tricks their bodies into thinking it's right. pregnant. Well, when given to men in large doses, it, it tricks their body into not making testosterone. I.e. chemical castration. Chemical castration. The use of this goes back uh, early 80s. I think it was discovered that this worked for this because of the need for when you get prostate cancer. Back in the day, if you had advanced prostate cancer, they would actually physically castrate you because the testosterone is like fertilizer for the cancer. Mm -hmm. So to this day, the treatment now, once you get, once you determine that you do have prostate cancer, is chemical castration using something called Depo-Provera or something called Lupron. Some people might recognize Lupron. It's used for to treat endometriosis. Both of those are used interchangeably for chemical castration for either sex offenders or for treating or starting the treatment phase of uh, prostate cancer. So they usually start that on prostate cancer patients just so they can stop the cancer and then figure out if they're going to remove it, radiation, whatever. So uh, right. Anyway, so it's used. So in this case, so who brought this up? The therapist did. Okay. So, okay. So this sounds abstract. It sounds worse than it is, but... I To me, at that age, okay, because how old are you now? What, about 20... You're still 25, okay. So at 25, would you not be like, okay, wait a minute, nobody's castrating me, chemical or otherwise? Yep. Or are you tired by now? I'm tired. I'm physically okay. exhausted. You don't think you could possibly do that many hours of masturbation, have that many orgasms in a day, and have this constant drive that constantly you need to do it. I mean, there's times I couldn't even get hard, but I was still able to masturbate to an orgasm because I had to. Sounds physically impossible, but it isn't. So at this point, I'm open to, uh, to new ideas. Okay, here's this concept. Well, back to the reference library. This time for, you know, reference. <laughs> so I start pulling some of these abstracts 
American Journal of Psychi- Psychiatry, I don't know what the hell they are. Different journals you right. recognize them if you saw them. Reading these abstracts about these studies, and the studies going back to the early 80s, I must have read 16 or 18 hours worth of, of studies on the use of chemical castration. At this mm-hmm. point, it's about 1997, 1998. This is somewhat in the news. California is the first state to require chemical castration for repeat pedophiles or repeat rapists. How interesting. Of all places in the world, it starts in the state that you would think would be the last place in the world where it would start. So here we are with this new law. Now, it didn't necessarily apply to me, but it applied to a good contingent of the population of sex offenders. Doing a little more research, I didn't see anything in there that looked so negative. I mean, I read things that this had worked. It had a pretty high rate of percentage of rate that it worked, you know, 90 plus percent. I had read that there's some variables as to how effective it was, but the more I read, the more it seemed like, you know, I had nothing to lose at this point, because I think deep down I knew it was going to take something. It was going to take something drastic. It was going to take something drastic, and I knew it was going to take something that would have to eliminate my sex drive to get me to stop. There was nothing the therapist was going to say, nothing they were going to do. There was nothing that incarceration was going to change in me. You know, when I heard about this, the other exhibitionists who have been in prison eight or nine times. It's like, yeah, I get it. I understand that. They're not going to lock you up forever. You're eventually going to get out. Then you're going to go right back to what you were doing. There's nothing to break that cycle. There's nothing to break that pleasure cycle. Correct. After doing all this reading, and including an abstract I read about a study that was done somewhere, I think it was New Hampshire, and it's funny, you read something and then you try to, you know, back in the day, there wasn't lot of internet. I remember reading, going on LexisNexis because I had a subscription through my college, reading some more detailed studies and so forth. But reading something on an inter- in the internet, some study, I think it was New Hampshire, where they had put a bunch of sex offenders on chemical castration. And something like 93% of them, when the, the study was over, they stayed on it because they felt better and because they didn't have this monkey on their back. So yeah, like let's quickly go through that. When, when we say you're tired This is what you guys don't get is this kind of behavior is very similar to obsessive compulsive disorder in the sense that it gets so tiring because it's constantly going in your mind all the time, all the time. And that's where the tiring comes from. Like, how long can you possibly keep doing this? You know, it's horrible. It's a horrible way to live your life because, like he said, you've got a complete monkey on your back and it's almost impossible to get it off. Where does it end? It keeps going and going. And, you know, I ended up with sore on my penis from so much masturbating that I would have to switch hands for a couple of days. And I'd train my other hand and, you know, do that for half the week so I my sore would heal. But, you know, it would be uncomfortable, but I had to do it. I mean, how mm-hmm. could something be so crazy? Like, it's the dumbest thing in the world. But it happens. You know, and you're not, you didn't come from any wacky background. It's not like this guy was, you know, raped as a kid and all this other. It's just, this is a chemical imbalance in your head. Yeah, I had intact family. Nobody was beaten or abused. We didn't, we didn't live in a van down by the river and um, everything was on the up and up. Somehow this is what befell me and um, this is sort of how it, uh, it ended up. But at that point, you know, thinking about, you know, it's not rational. It's not logical. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't make any sense to be this way, but that's just the way it is. How do I get rid of this drive? How do I stop this? Nothing you say, nothing anybody can say is going to make me stop. 
Yeah, all the talking in the world isn't going to stop this behavior. It's just, it's not. Not at all. So here I am. Okay, do the research. I haven't seen anything that sounds objectionable. Uh, there's some side effects, but, you know, everything's got side effects. So I decide that's the course of action, and I agree to it. Let's give it a shot. Except there's a little problem, that there's nobody that has experience with this. Here we go, people making laws and don't have a way to really put the law into effect because there's nobody willing to give it. So again, there's your, there's another stumbling block within the system. Correct. Okay, now you've got, okay, here, we have this drug that's going to help you stop this behavior, but we don't have a doctor that can give it to you. Correct. Here I am. Ridiculous. I'm cold calling, trying to find somebody who either has experience with it or is willing to give it to me. Dead end after dead end after dead end. No, either they don't return the call or they give me some other bullshit excuse like, oh, I don't want to, I don't have experience with that and I don't want you to be a guinea pig. Do you not think it came more from the fact that the doctors didn't want to possibly get involved with a sex offender? They didn't want to go down that road. It's just too icky absolutely. for them. That's absolutely yeah. the case because there was no way of getting around the fact of why I'm calling them for and what I'm saying. Now, you know, oftentimes when I would call, I would actually often talk talk to one of their head nurses and then they would mm. say the message to the doctor and so forth. So I don't blame them. It's ultimately lied with the doctor would lie with the doctor and the doctor would call me back or someone would call to explain the doctor's position or there would be no call back because they don't want to have anything to do with somebody like me. But when the rubber hits the road, somebody's behavior like mine or worse impacts their family. Oh, it's a whole different story then. So having to be my own advocate has been something that's kind of always been a constant theme. It just so happens that lucky, uh, lucky number 13, the 13th call I made was the doctor was willing to listen and willing to meet with me and go over it. And again, it was uh, a doctor who was recently out of school and kind of open to new things. So I met with her and explained everything, brought a bunch of the abstracts and research I had brought, and she agreed to review it overnight and called me the next day and called the next day and said, sure, we'll get going on this. So, and the other reason why this is, people go, okay, well, why don't you just take the shot? What's the big deal? Someone throws a shot in your arm. Because we're talking dosage issues here. Correct. It's not so simple. Now, the literature seems to suggest that the dosages are all over the board, anywhere from 300 milligrams to 800 or 900 milligrams. Now, that can be per week, every two weeks. It just depends. There's a big mm -hmm. range there because there's a lot of variables. Your weight, your metabolism, your testosterone levels. So oftentimes, it's hit and miss, trial and error to get the dosage right. But it can Which be is why I think a lot of offenders come back mm -hmm. and say it doesn't work. I would agree with that 100%. I think you need to get the dosage right. If not, start high, work low. That was how it worked for me. Found, you know, the happy medium with that dosage that worked. But it ended up. So, how long did it take you to get that dosage down, though? Uh, it took a couple of months. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when you stop taking the uh, depot, it takes six to eight weeks to wear off. If you missed a shot, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And how often would you need the shot? So, I would go every two weeks mm -hmm. and get two injections. So, I would take a total of 300 milligrams every two weeks. And the injections are what, just in your arm? Um, you get in the arm, thigh, or in your hip. I would get them in my hip. I would get one on each side. So it's just a subcutaneous. They don't have to... No, no, no. Your... no it's, it's intramuscular. Right, okay. So they would stick you pretty good in the muscle. And I never got used to that uh, at any rate. It seemed to work. I couldn't believe it. So I initially... Went... So what did you start to feel? How did you know that it was working? Your sex drive obviously started to diminish, right? Very slightly, by but by about the third day, I didn't really have any. That quick? 
Yeah, and you know, your mileage may vary, of course. I, the compulsion in me, I s certainly tried, but I couldn't get erect. I couldn't get, uh, my sensitivity for arousal went down, so I wasn't able to get stimulated to get erect, and I just kind of gave up. Yeah, that was sort of the end of it. There was no more, no more being sexual. And now, during this time, are you feeling sad because you don't do it, or are you going, oh, thank God? <laughs> yeah, the latter. Certainly was a, <laughs> what a relief. Because it's like being a hamster on a wheel. You're going and going and going and going, and this allowed you to get off the wheel for five minutes. Holy moly, unbelievable. How is, how is it something so simple could, you know, affect something that's so complicated? And I always maintain that this is a relatively simple and inexpensive solution to a complex problem, but... How is it that this couple hundred bucks worth of shots every month can get this monkey off my back and get this get this stopped? It's incredible. And more importantly, how come this wasn't done years ago? You know, how much mm. you need multiple arrests to get to this point? That's ridiculous. So this seems to be what seems to work. And so now you've been on this for how long? Um, I have taken Depo for 15 years straight. Okay. And Straight, like no, you never took any breaks. Never took any breaks, and then um, I now I take it sort of as needed. Few few months out of the year is what I, I take it now, so I still use it. The other part of the year, I take something called Paxil. Okay, so in the case, so the antidepressant is actually working in the off months. In the off months, it, it's just enough to bring my libido down a little bit, help with the compulsion. Okay, so it's helping with the compulsion, but what about a regular sex life? Can you have one? Can you, you know, date women and have a normal relationship? I guess I could, but there's the stigma. You know, also the fact that I need to be on these injections some part of the year. That's kind of a... But short of the stigma, in other words, if you were to get into a relationship with a woman, you could perform sexually. I guess I could, but I've not don't have much experience with that. I've always just been a masturbator, and that's all I've ever done. So you have no interest in getting into a relationship? Not really. I've always been a loner and have this facade that I carry on in my professional life. And I avoid mixed company when I can. And um, I can carry on and seem like I'm one of the guys and so forth, but I'm not. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm clearly different. And that's just the way I am. So you've accepted it and let's accept it and move forward because the opposite, or I should say the, yeah, the opposite would be for you to get back on the wheel again. Well, that's true, but see, what has helped is me being able to admit to myself who I am and what I am mm -hmm. has helped me move on. And I've accepted the fact that, you know, I do need to be chemically castrated because now you know, I'm no longer required to be on it. I take it because I know I need it, and I take it because I have the power to drive myself down there and get the shots and take those so I can control my behavior. I make those decisions. I couldn't certainly control my behavior before, but now I can, not mm -hmm. directly, indirectly. But at least I have something I can do. Now I'm in control. I'm over the part that I can do it myself because I can't. Because don't you think that's, a, that's also another big thing, especially with men, is that, no, I should be able to handle this. What is my problem? This should just pull up your pants and act like a freaking adult. Just get over this. Like, I think that's another stigma that's out there, too. Yeah, it is. Although... Because that's like that with any mental health issue. Until you turn around and say, okay, wave the white flag. I can't do this on my own. Do you see what I mean? It's like, I think there's a lot of pressure out there for people because the stigma of saying, I have an issue, I can't handle it, makes you weak. That's true. But man, there's certain, there's a lot of different levels of weak. Oh, sure there is. <laughs> you, you choose your, your poison, I suppose. But the, the clarity I got once I started the depot and I got out of the testosterone haze and I could see clearly 
that was something I didn't want to get back into. Once I got the monkey off my back and I could see how I felt, wow, I want to stay, I want to stay this way. And then I could find... So clear was actually better for you. Clear was better. And then I could actually see, holy mackerel, there was probably over a thousand people that had seen me over the years. You know, that many people saw me. Tried that now I was able to quantify the damage. Maybe there were people that were mentally impacted by my behavior. You know, maybe... When did you get the empathy back? Was that when you went on the depot? Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing you will not see in any studies. I've also, you know, there's been a couple people in the group that have been on depot, but... Not nearly as many as it should be, but I found that to be a common trait, aside from also making you know, making more docile and more calm, to a certain degree, uh, more submissive, I guess, and mm-hmm. you know, not in a dominant submissive way, but in a way of... No, submissive point. almost to your own brain. It's like, yeah. you can finally take a day off. Right. Wow. What a relief. Being more calm and all that, that was all great. Now, I do regret not getting my testosterone levels measured before, because... I think uh, it would have been nice to see. It would have been nice, it, to see yeah. What that was, because yeah. I have a, I have a hunch that that plays a bigger part than people think. Because up to now, everybody's focusing on the brain. But I, from my informal assessment of the situation with other offenders, it seems like all these guys are hopped up on testosterone above and beyond what would be the normal range. And that doesn't help. So it seems like such a simple thing to do. Why aren't we taking these sex offenders, testing their testosterone levels, and if they're way off the chart, why aren't we putting them on depot? What is the big problem? Well, there seems to be a contingent of our population that seems to think that perpetrators have rights and that we couldn't do this to them. But most perpetrators, hold on one second, most of the guys that I have spoken to want this. They're begging for this because they're they're tired of the wheel. So if someone's asking for it, let them have it. Well, here's a great anecdotal story for you. There was there was one offender I'd met who had been on depot for, I don't know, 15 years. He got sick of the shots and decided he wanted to get physically castrated. He couldn't find anybody who would do it for the life of him. It took him, I don't know, eight or nine months to find somebody who would do it. He had all these kind of excuses he heard. Oh, well, we don't really move perfectly good body parts, or, oh, well, we don't want to be involved, blah, 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 blah. Yet, if you want to get a sex change operation, hey, no problem, step right up, we'll take care of you. So, anyway, he finally got it done and was pretty happy with not having to go and get shots every couple of weeks. And uh, Did it work for him? Because I've heard some cases that that doesn't work either. Well, your adrenal glands produce maybe 10% of your testosterone, which is why you make testosterone as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You have testicles, you, know, have testicles, right. you have adrenal glands. So, again being able to check the levels before and after and that's that's pretty routine and you know i think i've read somewhere where somebody can try to stimulate themselves and maybe get a half an erection but generally there isn't the drive to uh, to do it but but let's let, let's say any of these treatments were not 100 percent. let's say they're 92 percent. hey isn't that a better than isn't that better yeah it seems like a no-brainer let's not argue about 10 percentage points one way or the other we're in the you know, we're in the 90th percentile here. What's the problem? We're making and see, and you're again, you're advocating this because you've done it. You were a past offender. And this is what I'm saying is there's a lot of offenders out there who are going through the same thing that you are, who clearly are probably facing testosterone issues. It seems like a no brainer. But this is coming down to, oh, well, you know, people have rights. But if that person is requesting it, we need to have somewhere for them to go. That's true. And somewhere where there isn't a stigma 
associated with even getting therapy because why should that even be the case? I mean, obviously I went to, you know, small clinics that didn't specialize in this. I went to clinics where I was the only sex offender going there for chemical castration. And yeah, I've had nurses that gave me shots and made them hurt on purpose because they knew I was a sex offender. That shouldn't. Are you serious? Yeah. And I hate to. That's disgusting. I hate to even tell that story because I would never want to turn somebody off from seeking what they need to get. But I've had that happen. There's been plenty of times where if I see the needle, man, I, I get lightheaded. You know, I never got quite comfortable with needles. And this went on for about six months. She make them hurt on purpose. I've had hundreds and hundreds of shots. So I believe me, I know how they should be given at this point. So, you know, I didn't say anything. I, I was just, I think what made me not want to speak out is just, you know, again, being that submissive, not wanting to make waves and just, you know, go with the flow kind of situation I was in that the medication made me. But um, I brought her to the doctor and she changed the doctor, the nurse out. There was no problem. But I've had, you know, common, it was a common problem with uh, some nurses. They don't want to be the ones dealing with the sex offender. And so within the medical community, keep in mind, you guys, that, you know, there is a lot of prejudice. There's a lot of closed minds and they're not looking at it the right way because this is why, although the word sex offender from a media standpoint is very titillating, but what people don't understand, as you said before, is that there is such a broad range of what a sex offender can be. Like you said, someone stealing a pair of panties or whatever could now be considered a sex offender. But the minute you say sex offender, everyone goes to pedophile. Absolutely. Right away. Let me come back to that. So back to the medical thing. It was very interesting noticing all the nuances and the, the mannerisms of people when they would be around you. Even people that would go so far as to handle me differently from other people, like wearing gloves when they would deal with me. Now, it's not like they were drawing blood, because I would, I'd, as I'd be waiting to get weighed or take my temperature, I'd notice how they dealt with other patients. But it's almost like I was being treated like a leper. Almost, mm-hmm. like, almost like people were treated in the early days of AIDS when they thought just touching somebody yes. would get it. I came to understand how those people must dealt with, you know, like they're uh, a pariah, and people not wanting to deal with you because of whatever, not wanting to be in the same room with you or even touch you. Quite odd, although I have also had extreme of that. I, I had a nurse once who was very friendly and you know, giving me a big hug. Hey, how are you doing? How are your urges? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like I was an old friend and wasn't afraid to be around me. In fact, it was, it was a busy place. She would take me into one of the narcotics closets and give me my shots there so I could send me on my way so I wouldn't have to wait around and deal with the bullshit of people. And what, see, this is what drives me crazy. Why can't everybody be like that? I don't know. Because even if a pedophile, I don't care, even if a pedophile is coming to you for help, come on. You would Who think, gives a crap? Like, you know what? Hey, Stop the behavior. Hey, hallelujah. You're coming in here for this? Exactly. Come on down. Can I get you something to eat? You know what I mean? I mean, that's how it should be. Ideally, there's, again, there's this thing called reality. And um, the people you would think would be the most open-minded and understanding are the least open-minded and understanding. And it's very interesting how people don't really want to do or have anything to do with somebody like me unless they have half a brain and are able to analyze the situation. I mean, the people taking me in for my shots shouldn't be worried about me doing anything because I'm not capable of doing anything. I'm the safest person in that whole place. But again, a lot had to do, I think, with how I conducted myself and how I appeared and how I dressed. And, you know, I didn't look creepy or pervy, even though I fully did creepy, pervy things. That has a lot to do with it. And I think that helps also when I had to talk to a doctor or something face to face. But do you not? And and is this not also part of the reason why a lot of offenders are not going to offer themselves up for this kind of treatment if they're going to be treated like garbage? Well, I don't think they know that. 
They don't know that. You know, having probation officers that are condescending, halfway humiliating and so forth, that's not going to help somebody change their behavior or be better no. or get better. Attitude, that was not helpful. But when the system's broken, the system's broken. So I don't, I don't blame them. They're probably, probation officers I've had are probably just disgruntled employees and, and so forth, knowing that the system is... Far from. Well, and let's face it, and you're talking probation, you all you are talking the you know, lower lower lowest common denominator of who they're dealing with. It would get on your nerves after a while, I would imagine. Yes, the liars and the yeah. doctors and everybody else. But um But yeah. this is such a classic example of stop lumping people into categories. No, I think this is a good example of where there are there's so many slivers of difference between people in the situation and and each one needs to be looked at individually as opposed to this you know group mentality of they're all scum and because it doesn't matter how you group them the bottom line is is they're going to be in our society so that's right how about do you out, want them on depot or not yeah. think about it. figure out how you're going to deal with these folks and do what works and move on from these old treatment modalities that don't work i think we've already proved Mm-mm. that they don't work Sounds great in theory when it was written in 1962, but no more. And this is is what I keep saying to everybody. This is is the reason why you don't take one doctor's word for everything. First of all, remember that even a medical doctor, they are educated guessers. That's it. Okay, I realize that I'm not downplaying the amount of work that they go through and the schooling that they go through, but they don't know everything. And in psychiatry, it's even worse. It's beyond worse. And I've known so many people who have gone to, just like you said, a general therapist with a sexual issue and have been told they're deviant and that there's no help for them. What the hell is that? Like, that, again, now you're dealing with therapists' own, um, they're making a judgment call. It's their own, you know, like they're, they're putting their own morals on this. Well, you're deviant, so therefore I'm not going to treat you. Well, okay, well, now what did that solve? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you know, finding out, dealing with which is people, why you got to keep going and going and going. Do not if, if you don't feel that you're getting the help that you need for any mental issue, I don't care what it is. Keep going to the next person until someone hears you. Well, you would certainly do that with your car. If you thought that radiator replacement was out of whack with the price, you would de- definitely take it to another guy and say, oh, it's not your radiator. You just need a thermostat, a five dollar part. You would certainly do that with your car. Why would you do that with your body? mind this is your brain you guys like i mean think about it this is your endocrine system this is this is your body yeah i mean you know i certainly saw who was a top-notch guy in his field psychiatrist as a source of prescribing the depot the guy creeped me out it's like wait a minute i'm supposed to be (laughs) here how is it (laughs) there's only one for one creep why why are you making me creepy (laughs) i'm like i don't think so I have seen more therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists that need their own therapy so bad. (laughs) So remember, these are all human beings helping other human beings. Human beings are flawed. So all I'm saying is don't give up. And I don't want to see a sex offender who, you know, could possibly be thinking about the depot and then go, oh, well, what's the point? Because, you know, I've been to so-and-so and this person and no one seemed to care. Keep pushing forward. Keep trying to find somebody. Don't give up. Yeah, and you know, and so I went. I, try, I tried to make an appointment once with a doctor who specialized in transgender people. I thought, oh, perfect. But, yeah, they should be open-minded. Yeah. Oh no, uh-uh. They don't want to have anything to do with me. 
just like, oh, really? Come on. You are, of all people, are fully aware of how this stuff works and how it's used in this context. That, 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 it's the that, stigma. That, that surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Certainly... It's the sex offender stigma. Yeah. And it's going to be with you no matter what you do. And and I, that's another thing is there's a lot of guys that I speak to who think that this is all a game. So a lot of them will go out and do what you were doing as a game. It's two different things. It's just, I don't know how to get this through to everybody so that you understand that if this has become this twisted, continuous catch-22 and you're in that, it's not a game anymore. Okay? It's not something fun anymore. No. And you need to get help. No, I don't think the fun part lasts but a split second in the whole timeline. Yeah, when you add up all the, all the fun part of it. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Here we have a relatively simple solution to a complex problem. A simple and inexpensive solution, that is, because Depo is now available in generic form, so it's, it's, it's very inexpensive. So it's not even a cost issue. But why is it that there's 9 or 10, 11 states that require it for repeat pedophiles and rapists? But what about the other 40? Yeah. And why are most of those states red states? What's that all about? That's an interesting statistic. That is interesting. Now, you know, but, but then you're getting because when you're going when we're talking extreme liberalism or when we're talking about Democrats or we're going into that, you know, we're going to the left, they're going to be more concerned with prisoners rights or offenders rights. And to them, Depo is taking away that right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just odd to me. Why is that? I mean, the, the group of people are supposed to be protecting women and children the most are doing it the least. And uh, I seem to recall Interestingly enough, um, and I can't remember where I read it, but it's, it always is like on the last page of the news. But uh, there seemed like the ACLU had uh, a problem with some of their internal folks and upper management with kitty porn. Now, they were very outspoken about chemical castration being against it. And it's barbaric and this and that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Well, uh, I can understand. Well, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you're sitting there, you know, watching kitty porn while you're doing that, well, yeah, you're probably not going to be really for depo. Yeah, yeah. My observations are is you have politicians and judges who are not really for this. Now, in the case of California and Florida, for some reason, the judges there seem to think that they're smarter than the rest of us, and they don't seem to be enforcing the law that requires this for repeat pedophiles and rapists. I think it's... Oh, okay. So now we're talking yet another... Here's another problem with the system. Another problem with the system. So now you have this. They can go get it, right? They No problem. You can have your depot, but no one's enforcing it. No one's enforcing it. And I think California has like 100,000 sex offenders now. In fact, there's even talk of getting rid of the registry because it's not efficient nor effective. Duh. So I think it's... Well, shaming someone isn't going to do anything. It doesn't stop the behavior. No. And knowing where they live isn't stop anything because they don't shit where they eat. I didn't commit my crimes where my neighbors might see me or know me, and I find that to be the case with a lot of different offenders. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, especially with pedophiles that are incest-seeking. That's obviously not the case, but you do hear about people that um, are in positions of trust, but there's also a lot of cases where that's not the case. It just depends. And then the other things you hear, oh, well, you know, these cases of rape, you know, it's all about power. Well, really? You sure that's it? Yeah. It's kind of like... There's more to it there's than more to, It's like the joke I tell. You hear about the rapist who couldn't get it up. There's no such joke because that's not true. I'm not making light of that. I'm, I'm just trying to... No, straighten. but that's you're absolutely right. You can't really rape somebody with a flaccid dick. So think about that right. for a although, minute. Although 
people are quick to say, oh, well, they use other things. Well, that may be the case, but statistically, that's not really always the case. And somebody has to be aroused to be able to do that. Certainly, there's a problem there. So why are we not looking at the hormone levels? So in my studies, meaning my research, I found that no one had really ever looked at the correlation between sex offenders' uh, testosterone levels and their crimes. No um, one? That's never been done. That's never been done. Why is that? You would think that would be Why? A, you think that'd be a no-brainer. Now, I did, no kidding. I did read a study that seemed to think or hint that maybe they had low levels of testosterone, but again, I can't see that to be the case. Yeah. No, because I can't either. Having been somebody with low to none, uh, I'm first to tell you that that's the last thing on anyone's mind. So, that's what I was going to say. Like you, you've you've seen both sides of that coin. So right. that doesn't even make sense. Yes, and that study was some from sometime in the 60s, so that wasn't even valid anymore. That's not even relevant anymore. Yeah, yeah. so that was just some hypothesis, I think. But why is, that no one, is it that no one's looked at that? That would be a no-brainer. There's a lot of things about this that doesn't make any sense. That's one of them. The selective enforcement of these laws or the punishment is also another one. I mean, we have some places that can get it together, other places can't get it together, and they're full of people that reoffend. Whether you agree with, you know, something like gun control, why is it the places with all the gun control have all the gun crimes? So mm -hmm. there's some things that you just can't avoid the statistics and the reality of it. Why are the places that have these strict laws, yet they're not being enforced, have plenty of criminals? It doesn't make any sense to me. But like I said, I think we have these judges, politicians, and I even blame some of the therapists and social workers and probation officers for contributing to this problem by not mm -hmm. really dealing with something that needs to be dealt with properly. We know this doesn't work. Why are we spinning our wheels trying to point at someone's you know, mother as being the problem or some upbringing issue when... You know, let's quit trying. Let's do some blood levels. Let's start checking this stuff. Let's start doing some studies. Let's start looking at this. Hey, it's ridiculous. Let's just take, let's just put these guys on depot, give them a break from the behavior, let them clear their mind, and go from there. Even if you were to take first set offenders and put them on depot for six months, let them get their mind clear and straight, then kind of see where they're at. But I think for something like who's a repeat offender, no brainer. In order for these people to be back in society, they need to have their behavior controlled. They can't control it, so somebody needs to do it for them. It's inhumane to put somebody back on the streets has no way of controlling the behavior. So don't talk about whether this word castration is inhumane or not. And it's not really a new concept. Castration has been used, uh, physical castration, uh, on sex offenders in Europe up until the early 80s when Depo came on scene. So it wasn't uncommon for a real castration to be used. And there's a number of studies that cite things. I think there's a study out of Sweden or Norway, one of those, one of those countries where they looked at the recidivism rate and it was extremely low with those who were physically castrated. You know, there's a, even a stigma about castrating. You know, it's yeah, sure it sounds horrible, but I think what's more of a horror is letting people back in you know, society who have no way of controlling their behavior. And, and we're not saying, you know, you excuse the sex offenders. We're not, we're not saying, okay, go out and hug a sex offender. That isn't, you know, we're not doing that. What we're saying is this needs to be addressed. This needs to not only be addressed, it needs to be enforced so that we don't have this continuous cycle going on. Because all these guys are doing is they're being thrown in prison. They get out. They reoffend. It's all the same thing. And if we know that this drug could help and could possibly stop this cycle, why aren't we doing anything? This is ridiculous. Yeah. So what do you think that we can do to fix this? 
Where does the problem lie? Well, when part of the problem is overzealous politicians eager to sound tough on crime but don't follow through, you know, this sounds great. And the whole sex offender registry started like that. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. We're going to get these guys and we're going to really stick it to them. Well, I think if anybody ever looked at the statistics and got Department of Justice uh, numbers, it would fully support the notion that the registry has not stopped any sex crimes. Sure, it might make it a little bit easier to find people and figure out who's involved, but it doesn't stop. Failure number one. Because your picture used to be all over the Internet. That's true. Right? You used to be you used to be in this registry. You used to have to tell everybody where you live. Did it stop your behavior? No. No, it did not. I think people get a false sense of security. Yeah, some people are like, you know, oh good, you know, I feel better knowing where that person lives. I'm not gonna walk by his house. Then you get other people who maybe feel the opposite, like, oh my god, I'm scared now. I know where that guy lives, you know, you know. Well then you get the overzealous ones that want to go and blow your head off. That's true. So not knowing you know, everybody thinks you're a child rapist, of course. So there's got to be something in between there that works. I, I don't think keeping, I don't think keeping track of people is such a bad idea. But it's not working to deter the behavior. No, it's, it's not, not doing anything. To deter, and it's not doing any good. So you know where they live. So what? That's not going to stop them, and it's not going to make you any safer. So there seems to but be. But this a, can. Well, you know, it's funny. Growing up, when I was a kid in the '70s, there was always these people that were weirdos in the neighborhood. You always kind of had a sense about that, and even your folks would know that. Back, mm-hmm. in, you know, back in the old days, I don't think there's any more perverts and sex offenders than there always has ever been. There's just as more awareness, but this time it's it's, on, it's kind of on overdrive. You know, it's hypersensitive about, you know, you touch somebody. You know, I've been in group therapy with people that were deemed sex offenders that maybe touched some girl's leg inappropriately, didn't touch her vagina, didn't touch her breast. A little bit overzealous in how we see some of these things and classify them, but um, there's no excuse for any of that. But I think there's a hypersensitivity to this whole thing. And as a result, you know, you have people that are becoming sex offenders who are, you know, 17-year-olds dating an 18-year-old. They don't like the boys, so they're going to get them trumped up on statutory rape charges. There's plenty of cases like that. Courts are mm-hmm. fond with them. I agree. Plenty of states are also dealing with, well, not plenty of them, some of the states are dealing with these things called Romeo and Juliet laws where you deal with a, a little bit of an age difference. I mean, not like as a 12-year-old trying to date a 30-year-old. That's a little bit different. Those, those, aren't the, those aren't the people that was designed to keep in check. And that's not even the phrase because keeping in check is something that is not doing. But I think as a result of these ham-handed sex offender laws that don't work, treatment that is not effective you have some unintended consequences that occur and i think again these could my hypothesis could probably be supported by department of justice statistics and that is that i think with sex offenders and the stigma that comes with them and they're not stopping their behavior they're going to roll the dice and by rolling the dice i mean that people that are going to either do violence or do child sex offenses uh, molestation or whatever um, are now killing their victims when they didn't always used to do that by chance of circumstantial evidence or maybe DNA evidence, and they do get trumped up. And that could also be because of high testosterone as well. No question. I'm not saying it's 100% behind it. It's going to add to that whole scenario. Yes. And again, I know there's something that needs to be looked at. So I think what happens now is these uh, part of these offenders kill their victims and roll the dice that they're going to be getting the death penalty. And what ends up happening is they hold that one trump card that they know where the body is buried. You see this more and more and more in the news. So what happens, they're on death row. and it's Like, look, get me off of death row. I'll tell you where the body is because the family just wants their loved one's body back so they could have a, a 
some kind of closure, you know. So the sex offender ends up having the last, the last laugh because they get off a death row and they get life without parole, but they get to stay alive and masturbate to their fantasies forever and basically slip through the cracks. Something that never needed to get that way because by the time these guys are in that situation, they have done this crime over and over and over. Again. Oh, for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And they say for every one time they admit the factor is seven that how many times they've done it. So they said they did it once, they really did it seven times. So they say that that's the, the numbers much more than they admit. So one to seven. Holy cow. Yeah. So what do you think we can do? do you, is is Should we be writing our congressmen? What should, like, how do we fix this? Because I know you do a lot of advocating for these guys, and I know that you still go to group and you still work with these guys. How do you think we can get this out there? Well, the problem is so widespread. I mean, the stigma is one thing, but what are they teaching in schools nowadays? You know, people going to medical school or, you know, even what are they teaching in abnormal psychology classes that, you know, archaic yeah archaic stuff is what they're teaching yeah maybe it starts there maybe it starts with the fact that not everybody's creepy looking and these are just regular people maybe it starts with you know hey these people didn't necessarily choose to be this way just like i made my joke in my opening statement i'd rather be a drug addict than have this problem be on the bottom of the totem pole just because of social acceptance because of social acceptance so maybe politicians are the problem of course and they shouldn't be writing laws because they have no understanding of the hows and whys of these laws and what their effects are and, and unintended consequences. You have people that just are not adept at making those decisions, and they should have people that actually know or are experts in the field advising people on it. You know, if all things say, oh, well, you know, it's, everybody's drugged up and, you know, everybody's using, taking medication to control this, that, and the other thing. Well, this is the one time when this is not an excessive use of medication. This is kind of a must-do situation. It's all, yeah, mandatory is what it should be. Right. It should be something that is just automatic. But the people I know that have been on Depo swear by it. And I think you will find that, that you know, once they've gotten the level right and it works, um, they're pretty happy. So what does that mean? You know, that has, that has to hold some water with, with, with someone. seems to me, you know, people like me aren't necessarily going to step up and, and speak to this. But you know what? I think that would help. I think that if there was more of a voice coming from the offenders themselves who have been placed on depot, who can now see both sides and say, no, we're coming forward to tell you guys this is what should be done. It's working for us and it should be mandated and it should be easier to deal with. Maybe the voice needs to come from offenders themselves, just like you said, the you know group therapy session should be moderated by offenders. And people tell their story. If it can't, if this, these laws can't get changed by politicians, maybe it comes from a different direction, and maybe the therapy community can come around, or maybe you know you have people being their own advocates. I do know in situations where offenders have stepped up and said, "Hey, I think I want this treatment." I think the court has been very receptive to that, and have looked at it like, "Okay, well, someone wants to go in the right direction and take." this kind of course of action that's like oh my god applaud these people hello that's notable and i think two things i think they let these people be on depot then they can they no, no longer need to be on the, on the registry but they have to understand that you know they pretty much need to stay on it but i think i think you would get buy off on that i really do like i said if it's only 90 percent effective that's still a lot higher number than zero which is really where we are now because it's it's literally a sprinkling of offenders on depot that is correct. And the problem is so rampant that it should be more widespread. 
I don't know. It's not a cost issue. It's not availability because every little clinic in the world has this stuff. It really is coming down to stigma. It's coming down to stigma. and It's coming down to these people can't be helped, maybe. But yes, they can. Why are people demanding this? And why isn't there people saying, hey, you know, we need to have the law like those other 10 or 11 states have. You know? So really, really, if this is something that's hitting home for you, write your congressman. No one's going to know if everyone keeps their mouth shut. People need to speak up about this. And it's one of the reasons why when Ken told me this story, I was like, no, this has to get out because there's so many little teeny tiny issues that are balled up into one that needs to be talked about. This needs to be discussed and stop shoving it under the carpet and stop lumping offenders all, okay, instant pedophile. You need to look at these things individually. And yes, I agree. We need to be taking testosterone levels. Let's find out what the hell is going on. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But unless someone starts speaking up, if you guys write your congressman, write your, talk to your doctors, whatever, because this is, it doesn't need to go on. All, this, all these people who are, you know, being sexually offended in some way, like whether they're being, you know, raped or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. We can, this, this can be fixed and it's not being fixed. It's... It's crazy. Well, nobody seems to care until it actually impacts them or one of their loved ones. Then they're front and center with it. But then the problem is there's so much emotion behind it that they're jumping in and they're going, okay, well, now they need to die. You know, it's, and it's like, okay, now you got to back up a bit because now you're going way too over on the other side. It's not that all sex offenders need to be killed. No, they need to be fixed. And if we have the ability to fix them, why the hell aren't we doing it? This is so wrong. Well, and even if it was more... Uh, a pragmatic, practical approach, dollars and cents, two to three hundred bucks a month is a heck of a lot cheaper than four to twelve thousand, which is the range of incarceration costs for sex offenders across the country. It ranges from four thousand to to twelve. I think the highest being uh, either Minnesota or Wisconsin has the highest uh, cost, but that that also might be because of, there's obviously unit costs involved. The more people you have, and it drops per offender, but um, in the math still is is a pretty big number well and this is the thing it's like okay when you when you look at these two numbers well even if we take the lowest number four thousand four thousand compared to a couple hundred bucks what are you nuts and the guy who you're spending four thousand on you're not fixing him no you're not doing a damn thing he's not going to be there forever he's going to eventually get out and he's going to return to doing what he's doing now there's a couple there's a couple of uh states that have a civil confinement law gives the state the power to keep these people further in a jail, if you will. It's more of a therapeutic setting, but after they're done doing their sentence, they have to still stay in probably what used to be a mental hospital back in the day, stay there until they're deemed safe for society. And these are primarily, you know, child sexual repeat predators and so forth. Again, this medication goes a long way to treat a wide swath of offender types. We're not saying that this is the be-all, end-all. We're not saying that this is going to fix absolutely every single sex offender of every broad type. If we aren't even checking testosterone levels, how the hell are you supposed to know? We have no baseline. There's nothing there. Why aren't we checking this? Yeah, well, if not anything else, you know, looking at that hormone level as a contributing factor to the behavior, that should be a no-brainer. There should be some bright grad student somewhere trying to write a thesis and coming up with that. But Exactly. Hasn't happened yet. So to all my people out there, because I know that I have a lot of student sex therapists that are still going through school that are planning on doing this, think about this for a minute. This is a brilliant thesis to work on. It will also help bring it to light. The more we discuss this, the more we bring it out, 
hopefully the more people start waking up instead of keeping their eyes closed to this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, and getting away from these normal words that we use to describe something barbaric or, you know, inhumane. But, you know, inhumane is letting somebody like me, who has no way of controlling their behavior, back into society to just continue to reoffend. Exactly. So at what point do so I... So what's worse? At what point do I have rights? Do I have rights to the fact that I need somebody to control me for me? I think I have those rights. I think my rights have been violated because I haven't been able... Someone hasn't been able to protect myself from myself. We're certainly mm -hmm. worried about everybody's rights nowadays. Um, how about that? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what, at what point things would come around, but it seems like vendors having alternative treatment programs that are above and beyond just going in and talking to somebody and that person making 140 bucks an hour or whatever the heck it is. Because talking doesn't... It's not... If this is a testosterone issue, and I think in most cases it would be, talking isn't going to do it. Discussing, you know, mommy hated me, daddy spanked me, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's focus on the behavioral problem. Stopping the behavior should be the number one. The first thing you should do is how do we stop this guy from doing X, Y, and Z? You know, instead, oh, we're going to go to therapy, we're going to talk, months go on, months go on, person's still offending. You know, come on, that doesn't sound rational or logical. I don't have a degree in that, but I can tell you right now, that makes no sense. And having a degree doesn't mean you have brains. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just because you read a whole bunch of books doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. So, I'd like to hear exactly what people think is the problem with this notion that this is the right approach to something. We've already tried everything else and it doesn't work. And this is something where, in my opinion, there's no room for error. Something mm -mm. can be done. You can't lock people up and throw away the key. They're going to be in society. So what do we do? Well, here's your solution. It's inexpensive. It's available to everybody. Everywhere. Everybody wins. The offender can be a member of society and have a job. And be at peace. You know. The offender can actually have peace of mind, yeah. which is not what's there when they're offending. They can under finally understand what they've done, which is people go through therapy for 20, 30 years and never get to be empathetic towards their victims. So what's that? So a lot. So that. Oh, well, yeah, we didn't we didn't really cover that. So when you went on the depot. All of a sudden, the empathy started coming back and you started realizing what you were actually doing to people who were watching you. Yeah, I got through the haze and I could see clearly. I was like, I get it now. I understand. And that contributed to this factor of, I don't want to go back to that. So I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to not have that happen. Case in point, the guy who wanted to get physically castrated after he was on depot for years. What is that worth? I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So that's worth something. Something that's it's all worth something. It, it just we have to do something about this because it just it seems so ridiculous to have literally it's like having a cure for cancer and just holding on to it. What's the point? Right. And, you know, the other thing I, I false thing I find when I run into people is they seem to think, oh, well, sex offenders would just get a partner. They'd be fine. No, most of them have partners or they're not interested in regular intercourse sex with with women. They want to masturbate to their deviant behavior. If you want to find the sex offenders, it starts with they're all pretty much compulsive masturbators. They masturbate to their whatever their deviance is. It's not about they not having sex with anybody. It's not about that. Did porn contribute to my problem? Absolutely not. Certainly helped mitigate it at times, but that didn't that's not what starts this or contributes to this. No, it's already there. Yeah, That's the thing. It's already in your brain. It's already there. The porn isn't necessary. Yeah, I never had fantasy because I was living reality. My fantasy was my reality. 
was memory, really. Yes. Your fantasy was just going over your memories. That's correct. So it's not about that I watched all this porn or did this and that and that made me that way. No, absolutely not. But I don't know, Ken. I just, I think we, we really, I'm, I'm so, I have to tell you that I am so pleased. And I think what you've done just doing my little show is incredibly brave. And I just, you know, I, I'm, this is what I mean. I really hope that this falls on somebody's ears and helps at least one other person. Hopefully we can get maybe one offender to go, you know what? I'm going to do depot. Well, I, I'm sick of this. Well, this would be awesome. We'll never know. But at any time, that's always my thought. I convince one person to do it and it saves one victim. Then it's a success. We'll never know. Right. Doesn't matter. You know, and I think it helps. You're also not going to know if you keep your mouth shut. That's true. But there's other things that are positive about it that has helped out. For instance, um, just the fact you're on depot. Nobody can accuse you of doing anything because you're not capable of it. There's been times when I've been looked at because I'm, you know, I'm a right subject for that type of crime or something. But I have a chemical alibi. My body mm-hmm. doesn't make test. My body doesn't make testosterone. It doesn't make semen. I'm impotent. I'm not capable of that. That's been a good thing. Finding housing. It's also been good when I finally am able to have somebody listen and they find out I'm not, we'll get through the first, the first step is, okay, I'm not a pedophile, I'm not a rapist. Oh, by the way, I'm also chemically castrated. That's been helpful. There's been a number of things. And also the notion that if he's willing to do that and be upfront about it, then, you know, people can start to trust you again. So what's that worth? I wish I could tell you the whole litany of things that are negative about it. Yeah, there's some side effects to it, but the positives far outweigh the negatives. No question. If people want to take their own behavior into their own hands, so to speak, no pun intended, I think you want to get over the hump of the problem and fix yourself. If somebody's not going to tell you what to do, there's plenty of information out there, or at least some information pointing in the right direction, that you can make your own decisions and do what you got to do. Because uh, when, I w- when I started this, there was nobody using this, and it was just a concept. You know, its use in sex offenders was not nearly as widespread. It's not widespread now, but it wasn't even you know, fraction of where it is. So it's getting a little tiny bit better, which is why things like this, talking about it are so important so that you can keep pushing this forward. Talk about it. Get other people talking about it. Open your eyes, learn something and realize that this is going on and it doesn't need to. The pain can stop, whether it's the pain of the offender and what he's dealing with mentally or what he's doing to other people. There's pain involved. Why, why are we, you know, it should be a no brainer and we should be able to just say, okay, stop it. I agree. There's so much to support it, but you know, not always the great ideas always make it to uh, fruition. It's just one of those things I hate to, I remember being in college and being idealistic thinking there's an utopia, utopia, but I think we got to the point where this isn't working. Let's come up with some other idea Mm -hmm. because this is such a, you know, a severe problem, a severe type of crime that impacts people for the rest of their lives. It impacts kids. Kids never get over this. I don't think. Nope. And kids also tend to reoffend. Those who have been, you know, have been assaulted as children can also end up becoming offenders just from what happened. The cycle continues to learn behavior and and so forth. Yeah, I agree. So it works out quite well. Well, I want to thank you, Ken, very much for being on the show. And I want to thank you for being brave enough to bring this forward. And hopefully somewhere out there, we are putting a little tiny bit of positive spin for somebody, even if we never find out about it. But I want to thank you very much, Ken. Honestly, it, it was brave of you to do this. I appreciate it beyond anything you can imagine. No, very good. No, thank you. That, that, that was great. Thanks for having me on. Although this isn't the usual type of show I would normally bring you, 
expect more like this. Because if I can get you talking or even thinking, I'm a happy bitch. And whether we like it or not, sex offenders walk among us, and many can be helped, and in so doing make the general public somewhat safer. Is chemical castration the cure to all sex offenses? No. But if we can make it so that the ones who it would help can get it easily and discreetly, why aren't we doing this? If you've listened to this show and you have a question for Ken, please email me and I'll get it to him or leave your comments on the show page at inbedwithdrsue.com. Let me know your thoughts because I love hearing from you guys. And until next time, thanks again for listening. And remember, my dear friends, be uplifting, be inspiring, but most of all, be happy. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.